Well, hey, and welcome to the Quad City Podcast, where we are on mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus everywhere, always. We're so glad you're joining us in that today. Well, before we dive into today's sermon, would you do me a quick favor? Would you go ahead and open your app store and search Quad City Christian Church? Download our app because it's the best way to stay connected with what's happening here at Quad City. If you're new joining us for the first time, click that new here form as we'd love to reach out and connect with you. You could also submit prayer requests and even give on that same app. It's the best way to stay connected here at Quad City. Well, hey, now that that's out of the way, let's go ahead and dive into our sermon from Sunday. We hope you enjoy. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are honored that you have uh, decided to start your week off by worshiping with us here at Quad City Christian Church. Uh, I want to welcome all of those who are joining us online from whenever and wherever you are. So grateful to have you as a part of the Quad City family. I look forward to the day uh, when you get to come and worship with us here in person. I also want to welcome all of those out of our Prescott Valley campus. So grateful to have you guys. I uh, love hearing the encouraging stories of how God is using you guys out there. I want to welcome all of those who are in the room here in our practice. Prescott campus today. Uh, if you're a newcomer, again, so glad that you're here. Out in the lobby, off to the right, we have a place we call Pastor's Point. I'll be hanging out there after the service. Would love for you to come by and introduce yourself there in PV. Uh, just stop by Connection Central. One of our pastors will be there, and they would love to connect with you as well. Well, today we are continuing this series that we've been in for a couple of weeks, talking about the parables of Jesus. Now, the parables are great stories. Many of you have heard these stories. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you know some of these stories. Um, but they are oftentimes some of the most misunderstood and misapplied teachings of Jesus. And there's a reason for that. It's because Jesus told parables not to clarify his teaching, but to actually hide his teaching. Not to make things easier to understand, but to make things more difficult for his audience to understand. And so um, it shouldn't come as a surprise that these stories get misapplied. It, it worked so well that Jesus confused people with his parables that his disciples, as we'll see today, will often hear one of Jesus' parables and then come up to him later and say, what was that? I don't understand what that means. Can you explain that to us? And, and he does. So today, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them on or turn them to Matthew chapter 13. That's where we are going to begin today, Matthew 13. And as you're turning there, I have a question for you that I want to start our conversation with today. Here's the question. Have you ever wondered why God continues to allow evil in the world? Have you ever wondered why God continues to allow evil in the world? Have you ever sat with somebody and you hear their story and you hear about the, the terrible stuff that has happened to them, some evil thing that's been done against them, maybe still being done to them, and there's this justice that rises up in you that says, God, why don't you stop that? Why don't you do something? Why don't you just take those people out? God, why do you let 
evil reign in this world. Or we could talk about what's happening in Ukraine, like today, like right now. I was with a group of pastors a couple of weeks ago, and one of the pastors there was a missionary in Ukraine for many years. And so as, he, as all of this stuff started unfolding, he's telling his story about his time in Ukraine. He's telling his story about these Christians that he has connections with. And he's talking about, these are not nameless, faceless people to him. They're people that he loves, family that he's known, people that he shared meals with. When we look at the damage of bomb strikes all throughout Ukraine, we just see rubble. He sees buildings he's been in. He sees streets that he's walked down. He sees coffee shops that he's met with people in. And he's weeping, and we together were just ardently and fervently praying, God, intervene. Stop this evil attack. Stop the Russian forces from going in. God, we pray for you to eradicate this evil in this moment. We have people in this church who are from Ukraine, who still have family there, who had to flee to Poland, no doubt, All of us, as we've watched this unfold, we see these unprovoked attacks against innocent people. And there's this thing in us that wonders, why does God let this happen? Why is God not stopping this? Why does God let evil persist? Why doesn't he intervene and destroy those who are doing this evil? If God is all-powerful and all-good, then why does evil continue to exist in the world? No doubt you've had those questions. I've had those questions. And today, I think Jesus has a little insight to give us about that question from Matthew 13. So again, let's set the scene again. Jesus walking along the lake, a huge crowd comes out. They're all ready to hear him teach. He jumps onto a boat and he pushes off from the shore to give his voice, creates like a little amphitheater with all the crowds standing on the shoreline. Jesus begins to teach. And here is his message. Jesus taught them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. So this is the parable. Now again, I just want you to imagine you're standing here on that shore, you packed up your family, and you heard Jesus was teaching in the town next door, and you walked the three miles to go hear Jesus teach, and you're standing there, and he pushes off from the shore, and he projects his voice, and this is his teaching. Like, this is the whole thing. Like, there's no setup, there's no context, there's no explanation. That is the whole thing. He just told the story. That's the whole thing. 
And there's no context. I mean, I, I set the story up for you to get the idea of good and evil there. I set that up. His crowd didn't get that. All they got was there's a guy, he throws some wheat out, and somebody else threw some seeds of weeds in. And in the harvest time, we didn't pull them up, we waited till the harvest, and then we separated them. Amen. And everybody goes home. Like, that's the whole story. Again, imagine I just plop down into the middle of that crowd, and you're standing there, and at the end of this parable that took two minutes to read, at the end of the parable, I look at you and I say, hey, can you explain that to me? Could you explain it to me? You look confused. The answer is no, no, I cannot. No, you could not explain it to anybody. You know how I know? Because even the disciples couldn't figure out what the world is talking about. But we'll get to the explanation in just a moment. I want to start by just talking about the story itself. Because I think many of us, we don't even quite understand all the nuance in the story. Um, all of the people who heard it the first time, they would have understood this, right? They come from an agrarian society. This would have made sense to them, um, but not so much to us. So I just want to start by sharing with you a little of the backstory of something they would have all understood. So let's walk through the story. He says, look, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed into his field. It's important for us to focus on good seed. He's sowing good seed. Good seed. If you're a farmer, your seed matters. Like, it's really important. Like, you don't, you don't take that lightly. You make sure you're planting good seed because your life depends on this. I mean, this is not like your little raised bed in the back of your HOA-gated community, right? I mean, if your little garden doesn't come up, then whatevs, you go to sprouts, right? You're fine. There ain't no sprouts. Like, this guy... He's, he's planting this wheat to, to help his family survive. Like that was the main ingredient for the diet in that culture. They ate very little meat. I mean, meat was like very sporadic. It is mainly a wheat-based diet in this culture. If they don't get the wheat in and it doesn't grow, their family may go hungry. I mean, this is important. So, of course, he's going to plant good seed in his field. So he, toil, he, he uh, toils up the soil, right? He turns it over and he plants his seed and he goes home. He goes home and expects that the seed's going to do what seeds are supposed to do. But while everyone was sleeping, that's an ominous phrase, in the dark, while nobody's watching, that's when evil does its thing. While everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed wheat I'm sorry, sowed weeds among the wheat, and he went away. The same day, seemingly, that the wheat seed gets into the ground, the weeds seed goes into the ground. It's the same day. And, and this is an evil attack. It's an evil attack. And part of what makes this attack so sinister is you have no idea Anything is wrong until it's too late. I mean, when this farmer comes out and looks at his field the next day, what does he see? Dirt. He ain't seeing nothing. It all looks the same as when he went to bed the night before. This is an evil attack. And when does the owner begin to recognize, oh no, something's wrong? When does he begin to recognize, oh no, there's weeds in the wheat? 
When does he recognize it? When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. When the wheat finally begins to produce the head, the kernels of wheat, all of a sudden it was then that he begins to recognize, oh no, there's weeds in the wheat, which means it takes about two months from the time a seed goes into the ground, a wheat seed, till it produces a head. Two months, and he didn't know there was anything wrong. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, how did he not know? How did somebody not notice for two months that there was weeds in the wheat? Let me tell you, because in this region of the world, there's a weed called darnel that looks exactly like wheat as it's growing. It looks identical. And it isn't until the wheat begins to sprout and the darnel does not do you begin to realize, oh no, there's something wrong. In fact, let me show you a picture. Wheat's on the left, the darnel's on the right. And this is the kernels of wheat. Once they pop out, you begin to notice, oh, there's a, there's a difference. But until they pop out the kernels of wheat, you have no idea. You have no idea. In fact, a little better picture, you know when wheat is harvested, when it gets ready to be harvested, it turns brown, and then you can really begin to tell the difference. This is the wheat, that's the darnel. And you can understand now why it was two months in before anybody recognized there's something different, there's something wrong here. It looks identical until the fruit is produced. Now, the question is, what happened? How did this happen? How did all these weeds get in the wheat? That's what the servants want to know. I mean, they look, at the, they look at the owner and they ask this question. Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? They're pushing it back on the owner. Like, you, did you get the wrong bag of seeds when you went out there? And the answer to that is no. We were told up front he put good seed in his field. But we already know what happened. An enemy did this. An enemy did this. This was an intentional act of sabotage, the owner says. And apparently, this was something that happened with some sort of uh, frequency because in the ancient Roman world, there was actually a law against putting weed seeds in somebody's crops. They had to make a law against it. So it happened with some frequency. It was an intentional act of sabotage. But the, the question now becomes, well, what do we do about it? I mean, it's already there. It's already growing. It's been growing for two months. What do we do? And the first thought is, well, we should just go pull them up, right? I mean, if you got something in your field that you don't want growing in your field, then go get it out of the field. I mean, that, that makes sense, right? The servants ask him, do you want us to go and pull them up? I mean, that makes sense. But the owner says, no, 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 that's unwise. Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Remember, these plants have been growing together for, for a couple of months at this point. Side by side. I mean, these aren't like corn plants that are planted 18 inches apart, individual that you can go in and pluck one. No, no, no. 
This is like randomly sown wheat. In a, it's like grass in a yard, right? You can't just go in and pluck out one without disturbing the other. All of the roots have been growing together for months. And he says, you start plucking them weeds out, you're going to damage the wheat. So what do you do? The owner says, let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters first, first, this is a really important word, first, collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. And then, then, gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. There will come a day where the entire field will be harvested. And so when that day comes, the owner says, go through the field. Then you can pull out all the weeds. You may damage some of the wheat at that point, but that's okay because we're going to be separating everything at that moment anyway. So go get all the weeds out, bundle them up, and take them to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring them into my barn. So there's the story. And again, this is a simple story. Everybody in that audience would have understood it. They live in an agrarian society. They got that part. But the question still remains, what does it mean? What does it have to do with God? What does it have to do? What does it reveal about Jesus? What does it have to do with the kingdom of God, as he said? What does it have to do with anything? And again, I imagine the disciples are like, come on, Jesus. All these people came out here to hear you teach, and you're giving them lessons on agriculture? Nobody's looking for lessons from agriculture from a carpenter. What are we doing? So the disciples come. Sorry, he tells the story. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. So Jesus tells this story and just walks away. That was it. That was the whole thing. Walks away. His disciples come to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Jesus, what does that even mean? What does it even mean? And because they have ears to hear, because they have hearts that are softened, Jesus is more than willing to help explain the parable to them benefits us. So here's how he begins. Jesus answered the disciples, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is is the end of the age, and the harvesters are the angels. So Jesus begins explaining the parable by giving a key of sorts to help them understand all of the parts and pieces and characters and context. So he gives them this key, and he begins with, hey, the one who sowed the seed is the Son of Man. It's Jesus himself. Jesus says, I'm the sower of the seed in this story. And the field that I am sowing in is the world that you exist in. So I'm sowing seed into the world. And the seed that I am sowing, those are the people of the kingdom. That's the people of the kingdom. I'm sowing seed and the seed I'm sowing is the people of the kingdom. And this is really important for us to remember as we think about parables. If you were here last week... There was a guy who was sowing seed, and the seed that was sown was the Word of God. That is not the seed in this story. That was a different made-up story. 
So you can't always take the details of one made-up story and make them the details in the second made-up story. In this made-up story, the seed are the are the people of the kingdom, and the sower is not you and I. The sower is Jesus himself, okay? In contrast, there are also weeds, and the weeds are the people of the evil one. The wheat are the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the one who is sowing that seed into the world is none other than the devil himself. He is the enemy. Jesus calls him the devil. And again, this is really important. I just want to reiterate it. We, I said it last week. I want to say it again because Jesus keeps bringing it up. It might behoove us to remember the fact that Jesus believes that there is a real, active enemy at work in the world. And it is the devil. Jesus believes there's a real, active enemy at work. And Jesus says, this enemy called the devil is sowing workers of evil into the world. Jesus believes that. And those, then he says, and the harvest, the harvest is the end of the age. The harvest is the end of this age. The harvest is when time stops and eternity begins. When Jesus comes back, that is the moment of the harvest. This, this is a parable about the last day. This is a parable about the return of Christ. This is a parable about judgment day. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are the angels. So now, we, now that we understand the key players, key characters, the key context, Jesus now is going to explain to us what that last day is going to look like. And here's what he says. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This parable is an analogy telling us what judgment day is going to look like. It is an analogy to tell us what the last day is going to look like. And it's really important for us to remember, this is no longer a parable. This is Jesus with his disciples clearly proclaiming the truth that the parable concealed to the masses. This is Jesus' ex 
explanation of the parable. We're not talking in riddles and hyperboles anymore. Jesus is now clearly explaining to his disciples what the last day is going to look like. That Jesus is going to send out his angels and there is going to be on that day a separation between the wicked and the righteous. And I want to make sure that you see what Jesus says is going to happen. Again, this isn't a parable. This is the explanation of the parable. And Jesus clearly explaining what's going to happen on the last day. What does Jesus say is going to happen first? What are the angels or who are the angels going to gather up first? The weeds. The weeds. He's gathering up those who do evil first. First, what's going to happen is the weeding out of evil. And I just need to say this, okay? This is where I'm going to get all the hate mail. I can, just, I can just see it coming. But I just need to let you know today, okay? We get this question a lot. It's, it's popped up a bunch recently, but you just need to know the idea of some kind of secret rapture where all of the good from the world, all of the Christians are taken and all the evil are left, that's not biblical. Like at all. It's, it's just not biblical. It's not in here. This idea of some secret rapture where good is taken and evil is left is not biblical. Like you won't find it. I've looked. I've looked like it was my job. <laughs> now, I recognize that I could be wrong. I am not infallible. And I recognize that many of you believe in a rapture and you've been taught by very smart people who are smarter than me that there is a rapture coming. But it's not, it's not in Scripture. And if you want to believe in a rapture, that's fine. I mean, no harm, no foul. It's fine if you want to believe that. It's a secondary issue. It's not worth fighting over. But what you find in this explanation, not the parable, the explanation, is what you find all over Jesus' teaching. That the first ones to go are always the evil and never the good. It's always the bad who go and the, the good remain. It is always, always, the righteous are never taken. The righteous are always left. It is always evil that is taken and righteous remain. Always. Always. And in Jesus' explanation of this parable, what he's describing, he says the weeds, those who cause evil, those who are doing evil, they will be gathered up first and they will be thrown into the blazing furnace. That's what Jesus says is going to happen. Again, this is not the parable. This is Jesus' clear teaching to his disciples of what the final day is going to be. And don't don't get caught up on the rapture stuff. Focus on this. They will throw them into the blazing furnace. That's not hyperbole. 
This is Jesus' clear teaching of what's going to happen on Judgment Day. And the fact that this is true should break our hearts. That a world full of weeds is going to experience an eternity in the blazing furnace. That should break your heart. And again, this isn't the parable. This is the clear explanation of what the parable was meant to conceal to the masses. The righteous ones who are left, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. So there you have Jesus' explanation of what the parable was meant to conceal. And the question is, what's the takeaway for us today? How does this change our life as we walk out of here today? I want to give you just a couple of truths that I gleaned from this text. There's more than this, but here's just a couple. Here's the first one. There is real evil in the world, and it is the work of our enemy. There is real evil in the world, and it is the work of our enemy. Here's a really important thing that we need to understand today. There are people who do evil, but the people who do evil are not our enemy. Scripture calls them the captives of our enemy. They are puppets of our enemy. They are not our enemy. The people you look at in the world on cable news that you think are the they're not the enemy. They are captives of the enemy. You remember how the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 6, it says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. There is an enemy, it is the devil, and he is out to take you down. So put on your armor, get ready for a battle. And don't be ignorant of his schemes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Your enemy is not flesh and blood. The people who don't look like you and don't think like you, who don't vote like you, you think they're your enemy, they're not your enemy. Your enemy does not have flesh and blood. Those people that you think are your enemy are actually just captives of your enemy. And so your goal in your relationship with your so-called enemy is not to defeat them. That's not your goal because they're not your enemy. They are not a people to be conquered. They're captives to be released. You have the key to set them free. We were all once captives of our enemy, dead in our sin, and somebody set us free. And now you hold the key. Your enemy does not have flesh and blood. We have an enemy, and the world is evil. There's real evil in the world, and it is the work of our enemy. Here's number two. Evil will remain until Jesus returns, and we should be grateful for that. Evil will remain until Jesus returns, 
and we should be grateful. And again, no doubt you have prayed. You've had those moments where you've prayed for God to remove the evil from the world. God, remove it. Why don't you do something? More importantly, remove the evil from my world because I care more about my world than I do your world. Remove the evil from my world. Remove the evil who are harming me and the people that I love. And many of us have felt the frustration that comes when those prayers seemingly go unanswered. But this parable teaches us that there's a reason. There is a reason that God leaves the weeds in the field. There's a reason. Because if he took out all the weeds, if he let, this, if he let the servants go pull out all the weeds, wheat would be lost in the process. And again, so let's just play this out. Again, put yourself in this agrarian society and, and play out what would happen. Remember the story. The workers could not tell the difference between the wheat and the weeds for months. It all looked the same. Until when? Until the wheat began to produce the kernels. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, there's weeds in the wheat. They could not tell the difference between the wheat and the weeds for months. Until some of the kernels started to be produced in the wheat. But here's the thing about farming, just so you know, all of the harvest doesn't come in at the same time. It's not like one day there's no kernels and walk out the next day and they're all kernels. That's just not how it works. This part of the field gets more sun, so they ripen quicker. This part of the field gets the drainage from the hillside and it actually produces bigger stalks that take longer to mature. It, it, there's so many different varieties and variations and variables they all don't produce the wheat at the same time. They don't produce kernels at the same time. And so when the servants say, should we go pull out the weeds? He says, no, no, no. Because if you do that, you're going to pull out some of the wheat. Because not all of the wheat has produced their kernels yet. You don't know which one is which at this point. And you start plucking them out, you're going to pull out some of the wheat that hasn't yet produced the kernels on it. So we gotta wait. We gotta wait until the harvest comes. And when the harvest comes, we will know definitively which ones are the wheat and which ones are the weeds. They haven't all produced fruit yet. Some still look like weeds. And they'll produce next week or 10 days from now. God is patient. God is patiently waiting right now for all of the wheat to be revealed. That's what's happening in the world right now. He is patiently waiting for every plant to have the opportunity to produce fruit. In fact, the Apostle Peter said it this way, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise to come back and judge the world. It's the context of 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, he, God's not... He's not slow in keeping his promise. He's coming back. He will judge the world. He's not slow as some of you understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You're like, God, why don't you come back and get rid of all of the evil? And Peter says it's because God's being patient with you. Because he wants to give every stalk, every opportunity to produce the fruit of repentance so that they do not perish. He's waiting 
He's waiting patiently so that every stalk gets a chance to come to repentance. God is patient because he doesn't want any to perish. And we should be glad about that. We should be glad about that. In fact, let me just ask this question. How many of you, how many of you are glad that God did not send his servants into the field 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago to pluck out all the weeds? Because you know if he did, you would have been bundled up and burned. But his patience with you allowed the wheat of repentance, the fruit of repentance, to be born into your life. How many of you right now in this moment are praying that, that this day that Jesus says is coming doesn't come today because of somebody in your life that you love, you look at them and you see nothing but weeds. And there is no fruit. And you're just begging God to be patient in the hopes that the same repentance that came for you will be produced in them. Evil will remain until Jesus returns and we should be glad because that's God being patient. Here's number three. Someday, all evil will be judged and it will happen with perfect judgment. I know right now it's easy to look around the world and think, God, where are you in all of this? Why are you just letting all of this evil? They're all getting away with it, God. And what this parable tells us is that there is coming a day when Jesus will come back and every cry for justice will be answered justly. And far more fully and finally, than we are even able to fathom. What Jesus explains in this parable is that no one who does evil is going to get away with anything. They're not going to get away with it. They may look like they get away with it, they're not getting away with anything. Every act of evil will be paid for under the wrath of God. For some, it will be paid for under the wrath of God that Jesus experienced on the cross on our behalf. And for others, it will be under the wrath of God they experienced themselves because they rejected Jesus. But every evil act will be punished with the wrath of God either the wrath that Jesus experienced or the wrath that we experience. So here's the question for us today. We have to ask to make sure, are we the wheat or are we the weeds? Is the fruit of repentance grown in our heart? in our life that distinguishes us from the rest of the field, from the rest of the world. And in the meantime, here's question number two, in the meantime, while God is patiently waiting, 
Are we leveraging our lives so that all of those we love around us have an opportunity to produce the fruit of repentance just like we did? Somebody shared it with us knowing there was urgency because this day is coming and we don't know how soon. Are we leveraging our life so that other wheat has a chance to be revealed because we're willing to share the good news of Jesus with them. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful that, that you clearly explained what's going to happen. And I pray that there is a weight that falls on us today. There is an urgency in our bones today, knowing this is going to come to pass. And so, God, I pray you would produce repentance in us and leverage us to help share the good news of Jesus with others so that those that we love get to enjoy shining like, like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. And it's through Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for joining us today here at the Quad City Podcast. Hey, our desire is that we would each look more and more like Jesus every day, week, month, and year. And we know that that doesn't just come from learning more about him and his word, but by actually applying it to our lives today. We hope that you take this message that you heard today and apply it to your life in a way that makes you honor him. Well, thanks again for joining us today. Be sure to download the Quad City app and we will see you again next time.